It's nice to be with you again. Uh, if you could turn your Bibles to Psalm, Psalm 1, Psalm chapter 1. Uh, for the last time, I have another speaking engagement next week, and uh, then your pastor's going to take over. And so um, praying for you, we'll continue to pray for you. Uh, that the Lord would continue to bless your ministry and, and that the gospel would continue to go forth, the body of Christ mature and grow. And, uh, and as I pray that um, I have a part in that just for this last time tonight, small part in these last few days, uh, last few weeks. The, uh, the word of God is, is powerful. It changes lives. Uh, I also am always fascinated and amazed at how diverse God's word is. You have texts that speak of wisdom, knowledge, understanding, the Proverbs, the wisdom literature. You have texts that deal with philosophy, the book of Ecclesiastes, nothing is new under the sun. You have books that deal with marital intimacy, the Song of Songs. You have books that deal with the transcendence of Almighty God, the book of Isaiah, chapters 40 through 48. I love those chapters. Christians need to have a bigger God. And here we have in the book of Psalms that, deal, that deals with a lot of emotion and, and suffering. And uh, the one thing, just aspect of God's word that I hope that as I've had a ministry with you these last several weeks, I hope that you've seen that God's word is sufficient. It deals with all of the areas of life. And as I conclude my time here in Psalm chapters 1 and 2, I pray that you would be blessed. I pray that you would be blessed. And as we look at Psalms 1 and 2, I pray that, um, that this church would be blessed with their new pastor. Uh, the people would be blessed. And, of course, the root, the foundation of that blessing comes from God's word. And let's read it at this time. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who has abundant possessions, who has many houses, who has vast wealth in their retirement. No, that's not what it says. I got ya. I got you. <laughs> but isn't that the way that it often is? Okay. And that's how we evaluate a blessing. Okay. Let's really read the word of God. All right. Here we go. Psalm chapter one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. 
ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the truths here in Psalms 1 and 2. I pray that we would, I pray that we would be blessed. Help us to correctly understand what it means to be blessed and identify, um, identify you as our source of blessing, Lord. I pray for the people here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. I pray that this church would be blessed through the ministry of the word, through their pastor, through their daily devotions, through their family devotions. I pray that this church, these families, would truly be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. It may seem a little odd to be preaching two sermons in one, it seems, Psalms 1 and Psalms 2. But you may have noticed as we read it that Psalm 1 verse 1 starts with blessed is the man. And Psalm chapter 2 verse 12 concludes with blessed are those who put their trust in him. There seems to be an envelope. It's like at the beginning and the end. Psalms 1 and 2 are two different psalms. They do address different topics, but they are considered the introduction to the entire Psalter. You have the two major themes in the book of Psalms found in chapters 1 and 2. Psalm chapter 1, discussing the word of the Lord, the law, meditating on the law of the Lord. Psalm chapter 2, discussing the Messiah and his coming again. And these are the two major themes through the entire Psalter. Notice at the beginning of Psalm 2, there's not a heading. You might be looking at your Bible and like, well, my Bible's got one. Well, mine does too. It says, the Messiah's triumph and kingdom. But that's just put in there by the New King James Version translators. And if you have a heading there, well, that was put there also by whoever put your Bible together. But most of the other Psalms also have an additional heading. Look at Psalm 3. Psalm 3 has, the Lord helps his troubled people. That's my heading from the New King James translators. Then you have a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. There's usually a heading on all of the Psalms. Well, most of them. Obviously not Psalm 2. <laughs> the poet, reckon, or the, when they compiled the Psalter together, they, I believe, intentionally left a heading off of Psalm 2 because it, along with Psalm 1, provide a summary of the entire Psalter. And so I chose to preach both sermons tonight because you always bless me with giving me such an abundance of time. I felt that I would be able to go through both of the Psalms. And so you bless me, and I'm hoping to bless you with the blessing of Psalms 1 and 2, okay? So I pray that you would uh, leave blessed tonight. And that is the sermon title, God Wants You to Be Blessed. And uh, that's also why I did start reading the, the, um, the psalm the way that I did, because so many people, we gauge blessing by material possessions. We look at what we have and we say, wow, we're blessed. We're blessed of God. God is blessing me. However, this really doesn't work when we really process through and think through it. Some people are extremely ungodly, but are presumably very blessed by God. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. You know, it falls apart pretty quickly. We can go to a vast number of millionaires or billionaires and be like, that person is not a godly person. Why do they have so much money? 
The book of Ecclesiastes deals with that. The rich, they're not satisfied with all of those wealth and possessions. We talked about that several months ago. I'm sure you remember every sermon and word I ever said. I know. <laughs> it's online. You can listen to it again. It's the Ecclesiastes one from a couple of months ago. Okay? But the true blessing or the, the true happiness comes by a life of contentedness. And as we look through this text, I pray that you would truly be blessed and recognize where blessing really comes from. Rich people often are very foul or unhappy. I'll use the word unhappy, okay? They're unhappy because, well, they just, you know, they may have a lot of money, but, man, they could e easily lose it. So they fret and they worry and they're concerned. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, people. That's what he's talking about in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Rich people often are not very happy people. So where can you truly be happy? Where can you, where can you truly be blessed? And the, the Psalter here explains uh, how we can truly be blessed. Now, I've used these two terms a little interchangeably, blessed and happy. And depending on what translation you use, some of your translations may say, happy is the man in Psalm 1, verse 1. Well, the blessed man is happy. And a happy man is truly blessed. But true happiness only comes through a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, his son. And if you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus as your personal savior, you know you're not really happy. True happiness comes through this relationship. And if you have a question about, man, I want to I be happy. I want to actually enjoy life as a gift from God, the way that he's designed it. Come and talk to myself. Talk to Pastor Mapes. Talk to one of the deacons here. We'd love to show you how you can have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, his son, and truly be blessed. Okay, let's look at the text. How can we be blessed? The first way for you to be blessed is to escape the sinner. Look at this in Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You may be familiar with this text. It's a very, very, I don't know, popular text. That's one thing about preaching the Old Testament. I get into a lot of passages people aren't really familiar with. Psalm 2 is probably that with you. Okay, generally speaking, that's what I run into. Psalm 1, a little more familiar. But still, I want, in case this is your first term being exposed to this text, I want just you to look at the text here. There are three, three um, uh, sentences here. This person first is walking, and he's not supposed to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You know, counsel comes from a vast number of places. I was talking even to my wife before we came here. We were talking about a situation of somebody that we're dealing with. And we're trying to discern whether or not we should speak to them and try to give them counsel. We think our counsel's right, <laughs> you know, but they may not. And ungodly people, they give counsel. Oh, they're usually free to give advice, okay? Oh, honey, you're getting married? Oh, man, I should talk to you. We sh should give you some advice, okay? My first husband, my second husband, my third husband, okay? Hmm, maybe not the one you really want to listen to. Now, what may shock us is that you may actually hear some things that are biblically true. She may have really learned a few things along that rough road, okay? But uh, that's probably not the source of knowledge. The counsel of the ungodly is the place where you should not walk. Notice the figure of speech is this walking. Going through life is like walking on a path. That's what we're doing. We're treading upon a path. 
And this path terminology, we see it several times both in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. And this path that you are on, you're walking down this path. And what does this person, what are they advised not to do? This person, the blessed man, he, he does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. This is where you don't walk. There's certain places that you just don't go. Now, look at the second line. He stands. You see that? He was moving. Now he's not moving anymore. He stopped. He's not walking down the path. He stopped. There's also an escalation. The people are no longer ungodly, but they're sinners. He's standing now in the path of the sinners. That's not the place he needs to be. He needs to get out of the path of the sinners and get back on the path of wisdom, get on the path of the fear of the Lord. Then the final one is even more emphatic because now he's sat down. Do you see the progression? Walk, stand, sit. And then the progression of the people. They're ungodly, the sinners. And then the last one, the scornful. Do a study of the scorner. I wonder if I need to put together like a biblical theology of the scorner because this is one of the things I've run into several times as I try to give advice to people, especially when you're really wanting to help somebody and you know the path that they're going down is a path of destruction. But if somebody's mocking you, you can't help them, okay? And that's a really hard thing to do, especially when it's a loved one. But if somebody is mocking, they're a scorner. And this person, he sat in the seat of the scornful. That is really bad news. That means they're taking counsel. They're a mocker themselves at that point. So this is the blessed man. He's the one who avoids the sinner. Escape the sinner. That's how I phrased it. Do you want to be blessed? Escape the sinner. Don't be distracted by them. Stay on the path and keep walking the path of godliness. The second way to be blessed is to imbibe the law. I I don't know why I chose that verb. Imbibe the law constantly. But it's like something you're just drinking. You're drinking it like a tree. Oh, maybe that's why I chose that word. <laughs> then there's this big, long, huge metaphor that's very luscious. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Let's break this down a little bit. First in verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you delight in God's law? Do you like reading God's word? Do you do it every day? Should you do it every day? Answer yes. <laughs> okay. You should have a steady diet of imbibing, of drinking God's law of drinking the word of God. It should be part of who you are. Do you want to be blessed? Well, you got to be really wise with your finances there. No. You want to be blessed? You want to be truly happy? Get into the word. It's so funny how the word of God has been so unavailable throughout the history of the church. And now we live in a society where, I don't know about you, but man, I got like two bookshelves full of Bibles. I got a bunch of them, man. All right. And I mean, you know, but we don't ever read them. We don't ever get into it. Get involved in a Bible study. Go to the, the men's, what's the thing they got at IHOP. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm a visitor. All right. <laughs> Go and get out there and do it. Do it. Imbibe the law of the Lord. 
Um, look at what it says here. His delight is in the law of the Lord. He wants to do it. And you're like, man, I just don't like to do it. I don't. Ask God to give you a desire for it. Talk to the other men or the woman, if you're a lady, in the church and say, hey, I don't really like reading God's word. I want to like it. I want to, to enjoy it because I know that that's the source of blessing. Do you think that some of the ladies in the church may like to help you? Yes, they would. You know, so often the church is viewed as a place where we put on our, our good look, you know. Instead, you know, sometimes the church is, well, it is. It is a place where we're like, you know what, I'm tired. I'm broken. I'm hurting. Instead, we want to look good. But we're sinners, and we need help. And God doesn't want us to do it ourselves. We're supposed to do it with one another. Build relationships with one another. There's a reason. This is a community. The church is a community. Get to know one another. Delight in the law of the Lord. Look at this uh, verse 2. The delight in the law of the Lord and his law. He meditates day and night, okay? You know, it's just like, man, it's just rolling around in your mind. Why? Because you love it. You like it. You want God's law. You want to read it more. You know, in their day, you know, they, they didn't have access to it. Like, we have access to it. When the, psalm, the psalmist wrote Psalm 1, it just wasn't that available. But this person, they delight in it. May we delight in God's law and thus be blessed. God wants you to be blessed. How can you be blessed? You need to escape the sinner. You need to imbibe the law constantly. This results in strength. This results in fruit. This results in health. These three points that I have, these resulting from imbibing the law, come from verse 3 and the metaphor of a tree. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. What is the water? That's God's law. Okay? And when I say God's law, I'm talking about the Bible. Okay? That's what I'm talking about. Okay? The, the river, that's God's law. And this tree, what's it doing? It's sucking it up all the time, just like you should be doing with the, the word of God. It brings forth its fruit in its season. It may not be bringing fruit for fruit all the time, but at the right time, it's bringing forth its fruit. Are you bringing forth fruit? Are you worshiping the Lord? Are you, are you building relationships with your neighbors, with your coworkers? Are you, can people see in you like, man, that person is weird. The world should think you're weird. It's okay. <laughs> be weird. Be different. You have a different master. I hope they can tell. Your fruit should be different. That brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. Look at these three descriptions of this tree. It's planted in the right place. It's drinking the law. It's bringing forth fruit. It's, it's, uh, it's healthy. Whatever he does will prosper. It's just going to work. It just does. I can testify to that. You know, sometimes we just, we love and we serve. We love and we serve. And sometimes we aren't sure where the money is going to come from or how God's going to provide or wherever. And God always takes care of it. It's never a problem. You just, one foot in front of another and you just trust him. You just trust him. But that's a future point in my sermon. <laughs> We're going to get there. Not yet. Or else you will. And then we get in verses four and five. We have the ungodly. 
if you don't imbibe the law of the Lord, then what's going to happen? Okay, we have three more points. You're going to be driven. Do you understand the correlation with the tree? The tree's roots are down in the ground, and it's not going anywhere. What's wrong? What happens to the one who doesn't? They're driven away like the chaff. The ungodly are not so, but they're like the chaff, which the wind, it just drives them away. They're not solid. They're not planted. They're not firm. They're not blessed. They're worthless. The chaff is this worthless part of the husk. It doesn't do anything. It just, it's just gets burnt. It's nothing. The fool, or I'm sorry, the ungodly, fool too, but the text says the ungodly, the ungodly they are driven away by the wind. They're worthless. They cannot stand. Look at verse 5. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. The tree stands firm and tall and strong. The ungodly, they're not standing. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The theme of judgment enters in and Psalm 2 as well. In verse 3, I have my third point. God wants you to be blessed. How can you be blessed? Remember, point one, escape the sinner. Number two, imbibe the law. Maybe I should just generalize that to the word of God. <laughs> Drink the word of God constantly. And then third, trust in the Lord. Look at verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You know, you're on the path, and you're walking down that path, okay? You're just going along, and you're just, you're just going, and the Lord knows the way of the righteous. So what do you have to do? You just trust in him. You just keep walking on that path, trusting him day after day after day. This is one of the major themes of the book of the Psalter, the book of Psalms, the word of God. It's a light before you. Walk in its light. Trust God. As you walk down that path, we're going to revisit this idea of trusting the Lord because it resurfaces in Psalm chapter two. I already mentioned it once a little bit, but we're going to revisit it again. Okay, so Psalm chapter two, you might be wondering, man, blessed, blessed. I need to be blessed. What does blessing look like? Blessing looks like drinking God's word, escaping from the sinners. That's what blessing looks like. Might it result in possessions? Maybe. I mean, there's this big thing. I work in Christian retail, you know, hashtag blessed, okay? Tell me about it. All over the place, all right? And then, you know, you, anybody that leaves, and they know you're a Christian, you know, have a blessed day. Blessings upon you. You know, I have certain, some of my vendors that I buy books from and stuff, you know. Blessings, blessing to you, blessing, blessing, blessing. I, I, I'm sick of it, honestly. <laughs> Especially because I know it doesn't mean a hill of beans anything. They don't even know what it's talking about or whatever, okay? I, it's really just kind of gets frustrating and almost even sacrilegious when, you're, when I'm saying it. I just really don't like it. Uh, do I want somebody to be blessed that I'm talking to? Yeah, I want them to be blessed, okay? But, I mean, I, pff, me saying anything, I'm not some you know, father to them or something, you know. I mean, there is something to that about a father giving a blessing to his son. But there's also something intellectual about that because what's the father been doing for all of those years? Instructing, okay? Instructing them in what? The law. All right, be blessed. Yes, I want you to be blessed. 
How can you be blessed? <clears throat> Get into the word. Get into the word. And the second main point, well, the second one was imbibe the law, trust the Lord. Okay, we got all that. But Psalm 2, you want to be blessed, submit to the king, man. <laughs> submit to the king. He's the king, and he's coming. And this is the text people are a little un more unfamiliar with, so I'm going to spend most of my time in Psalm 2. I pray that you would learn something. I pray that you would be in awe of your mighty God again, because he is awesome. So Psalm chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The fourth point, the fourth way to be blessed is don't rebel. And this is interesting in our society because we are a rebellious society raising rebellious children where it's just in their nature to rebel against authority. Do not rebel. I've got five kids. I can say that, okay? It's in their nature. Something about this sin nature thing anyway. Okay, so why do the nations rage? This word for rage, it's a very active term. It's like they're all like conspiring together. That's what's going on here. The nations are doing it. And the people, they're plotting a vain thing. That's how the New King James translates it. That word for plot, it is the same word as meditate back in Psalm 1 and verse 2. And it is not a common word. That, again, connects these two psalms together. They're different psalms, don't get me wrong. But when they put these two together, it was done specifically to bring them together. So if you translate that last line in verse 1, and the people meditate on a vain thing. Isn't that interesting? Okay, do you see the picture? I'm going to get a little, I'm getting a little warm. Let me take this off. Our society, they're getting, they're getting fed this junk from, from the movies all the time. Anytime you got some movie with aliens coming in to invade or, you know, whatever it is, okay? Some, some uh, Marvel comics or whatever, and I'm so tired. They got, they got so many superheroes now. I can't keep track of them. I gave up, okay? But there's always some big, huge, cataclysmic catastrophe that is going to wipe out all the population of the earth or most of the population of the earth. And man in his wisdom and power conspires together, unites, and faces the foe and defeats them. You realize that's going to happen one day. But it's God that's going to come back. <laughs> and it's like the whole entertainment industry is feeding our culture this idea that we can resist the power that made us. He created us. And what do we have here? They're meditating on this, on something. And how does the poet describe, how does the psalmist describe what they're meditating on? Vanity. We're going to overthrow God. <laughs> Not going to happen, buddy. Sorry. So what did they do? They're like raging around. They're really busy doing this thing. They're meditating on it. You know, they're thinking through it. And then what do we have in verse 2? The kings of the earth, they're setting themselves up. This is like this resistance terminology. They're defying God. We're going to resist him. And the rulers are taking counsel together. Now, I know this is maybe a little bit more complicated, but look at, the, look at how these lines run. Verse 1, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. And look at how this next line just kind of plunks out there. It doesn't fit. It's like boom, 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 boom. And then what do you have? Against the Lord and his anointed. 
that word for anointed, okay, that's a really, <laughs> see, we don't, we don't, you could just say Christ, all right, then you would connect it, right, all right, if you heard that, see, I don't really like the whole Jesus Christ terminology just because people think it's like his last name or something, it's not his last name, all right, what is Christ, what does that mean, it means, it means anointed, it means Messiah, Mashiach, Okay, HaMashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one. Okay, you can see Messiah, Messiah, Mashiach. Okay, that's the Hebrew word, and that's the word right there. <laughs> He's the anointed one. That is Jesus. When we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus, the anointed one. Well, how is he the anointed one? He is the anointed prophet. He is the anointed priest, and he is the anointed king. And guess what Psalm 2 is about? It's about the king coming to set up his kingdom. And that's why it's so fun. <laughs> this is the day we look forward to. This is why you can be blessed. Just think about that. Just meditate on that and the cares and the issues and the affairs of this world. Just be like, whatever. Oh, I just lost a million dollars in the stock market. Eh, who cares? It's no big deal. Jesus is going to come back. It's not going to mean anything. He'll just set up his kingdom, and that's the end of it. I don't have a million dollars, but, you know, I'm just get put things in perspective. You lose a ton of money. It doesn't matter because Jesus is the king. That line is, like, plunked out of place here. It's against the Lord and against his anointed. Then we have their speech in verse 3. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. What are they doing? They're rebelling. They're rebelling against God. They're rebelling against his anointed, Jesus. Jesus, the anointed prophet, priest, and king. He's saying, we're not going to submit to you. We're not going to obey you. We're going to defy you. We're going to fight you. How does God respond? I love God's response in verse 4. The prophet didn't have to describe it this way. First, he says, the one who sits the one who sits. He could have just said, the Lord shall laugh. But instead, he describes the Lord as the one who sits. Why is that? Because what are they doing? They're all busy <laughs> trying to figure it out. And God's just sitting there, sitting and laughing at them. Like they're going to really defy him. Like they're going to really stop him. It's not going to happen, people. It's not. There's not going to be some omnipotent savior of planet Earth to stop God from accomplishing his will and placing his king on the throne. It's not going to happen. Verse 4, you can see the cadence as it begins here again. He who sits in the heavens will laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Do you see the cadence to it? It's just like at the beginning. That, that one line against the Lord and against his anointed sticks out because he's focusing in on these two people that the people are rebelling against, the Lord and his anointed king. The Lord's response here, some people really kind of have a problem with, and this is why we need to imbibe the law of God. We don't understand how much we are affected by our culture, by our society, but we are. Whether it's the feminism in our society, whether it's the... Um, <laughs> whether it's the just everybody's good, everybody's okay, it's all going to work out, or blah, blah, blah. You know, God, these people, as they defy him, he's laughing at them. He's mocking them. 
What does a scorner do? He mocks. Here is God. And what you, you, know who, you know who mocks the mocker? God. He laughs at the mocker. You think you're all funny and cool and you've got it all figured out and you mock God's word? <laughs> Whatever. God sits in heaven and he laughs at the men of earth as they compile their plan to defy him. His attitude changes very quickly. By the way, so you want to be blessed. I've got to get back to my outline. I want you to think through this. First, don't rebel. Don't rebel. That's what we have in verses 1 through 3. It's kind of, you know, simple. Number, uh, the fourth point is know God. And this is a passage where I think we really get a recalibration again of who God is. God laughs at people who think they can defy him. Is God laughing at you? Are you trying to say, God, I can live my life X, Y, or Z way? Not going to happen. Repent, turn back to the Lord and do things his way. But then you have God in his anger. Okay, so we need to know God. What do we learn about God? First, he laughs. Second, he gets angry. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. And most Christians don't have place for a God who gets mad. But the God of Scripture, he gets mad. And I, uh, okay, this is a theme that's going to show up again. It's, it's later on in verses 11 and 12, okay? I've, I've read a lot of different stuff, okay? Some stuff is like, I don't know, out there or whatever. But there's this older literature that talks about the Pharaoh and how, oh, you better be careful with the Pharaoh, you know? Because, man, you tick off the Pharaoh, guess what he's going to do? You know? He'll whack you. And, and we don't have that concept in our culture. You know, it's amazing how disrespectful our uh, society, our culture is to the president of the United States. You know, even if you disagree with the guy, <laughs> you know, anyway, okay, even if you disagree with the guy, you should at least respect him. But there's no respect in our culture. Man, if you went back, thousand two thousand three thousand years there'd just be a whole pile of dead people because that's what their rulers did if anybody ever talked to them the way that we talk to the the president of the united states today they're just dead that's it gone and and you know that's what the ancient literature it talks about you know you go before the pharaoh be very careful and we were recently studying through esther the hasuerus you know man esther going in before the king we can't really fathom that but you know if Ahasuerus didn't really want to see Esther right then. He's just like, get rid of her. Kill her. I mean, you know, he's got another thousand girls or whatever in his harem. Let's get a different one or whatever, okay? You know, we don't have that in our minds that the world was actually that way once upon a time. No, carry that over to God. You know, you go before a king, and this guy could kill you, and you're scared to do it. Think the story of Esther. She's scared to go before him. Why? Because he could whack her. But here's the God of all creation. He's got your life in his hand. And you know what we do all the time? We go like, poke him. And we're like, oh, let's test God. Let's see, let's see what happens if I sin in this way. And we push him. It's like, man, maybe we should actually be scared a little bit of God. I think it might do our Christian church a little you know, service to actually fear God and fear his anger. God is one day, he, he flips the switch here. He goes from laughing, and then he just gets mad, and he just goes, and it's over. 
And you can go to other um, passages, Isaiah 13, Revelation 19, and you can learn about God when he gets mad and the armies of the earth assemble together in defiance to him, and it's, it's really bloody. So God wins, by the way, in case you were, you know, wondering. <clears throat> okay, so just like we had in verses 1 through 3, we had the rebels and what they were doing, and then we had their speech in verse 3. Look at what we have in heaven. Those are all the actions on earth. Now we have the actions in heaven. God laughs. He gets mad. And then what does he do? He speaks. Yikes. What does it say in verse 6? Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. When God sets his king up, guess what? It's over. It's done. And there's nothing going to stop him. Now, verse 7 through 9, we have this direct speech, but it's no longer the Lord. It's actually his anointed that does the talking. You see, God does the speaking in verse 6. Yeah, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Now we have God ruling. God ruling. So we have God. Who is God? God laughs. He gets angry. Then he talks. Yikes. And then he, he rules. <clears throat> and the ruler here is Hamashiach, the Messiah, Jesus, the Messiah. Verse 7, this is what Jesus says. This is what the anointed says. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. Now, I know it's kind of get a little bit confusing sometimes. You have to pay attention to all those little apostrophes and everything else in your, or uh, quotation marks rather, in your Bible. Jesus starts saying that part, and then he quotes the Father. And it's the father that quotes the middle from the middle of verse 7 all the way to the end of verse 9. Okay, do you see that? Jesus is saying what God the Father has said. And what does he say? So I'm just going to read it all again. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to Jesus, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And this begotten is not like I fathered you, like you're born. This is like, today I've appointed you. You're the king, and this is it. Ask of me. Isn't this fascinating? This dialogue between God the Father and God the Son, where God the Father uh, says to God the Son, ask of me and I will give you. Now, here's the cadence again. The nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Okay, how big is Jesus' kingdom going to be? It's everything. From sea to shining sea. <laughs> yeah, but all the way around. <laughs> He's going to have it all. The nations are, are Jesus' inheritance. This is what he will rule. This is what he will rule over. Who says that Jesus gets to rule over it? God does. Okay, do you see that at the beginning of verse 7? This is a decree. I will declare the decree the Lord has sent to me. And I mean, this is just like, talk about being blessed and just, just having confidence and, and having peace. And that's what blessing really comes down to. Forget this whole money and stuff business, okay? Just having confidence and peace and comfort. That's blessing. Be blessed. Whatever ruler that we have in place, guess what? God's in control. Are things going to get ugly? Things are going to get really ugly. Okay, they are. You know, read through, I mean, you can read through Revelation. I like reading through Isaiah 58 through 62, 
really fascinating about the grapes of wrath and just Jesus when he comes back. And the Lord saying, who's going to go and fix this situation on earth? It's a big, huge mess. And guess what God says? There isn't anybody. You know, I look at like a time like World War II where things were really bad. But guess what? There was another country, the United States of America. There were other countries, the United Kingdom, Great Britain. There were other countries that fought wickedness and evil. But the end of times is going to be so bad. God's going to look out. He's like, who's going to fix this situation? And you know what the answer is? Nobody. And you know what God's going to say? Eh, I'll send my son. Boom. <laughs> and that's it. It's over. And the grapes of wrath are tromped upon. And the grapes of wrath are people, by the way. And the blood all over him, that's people's blood. Because they, because they refuse to submit. And they refuse to do what verses 10 and 11 say that they should. When God says, time for you to rule, it's time for you to rule. And Jesus is going to go. And actually, that's the interesting thing because it's like God the Son and God the Father saying to God the Son, ask of me. So it's like we almost want to pray, Lord Jesus, ask the Father for the kingdom and he'll grant it to you. <laughs> and then this is all over. Oh, what a blessed day that will be. Okay, verse 9. I haven't talked about that. I need to go through verse 9. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Okay, that's the nations when they defy God. And I almost sometimes want to bring like a vase up here and a baseball bat, okay? And just to let you think through the analogy, this illustration. You know, there's this nice little vase, and that's the nations, okay? And they rebel against God, and God's the baseball bat. You know, which do you think is going to win? Smash! And there it goes. That's the analogy in verse, verse 9. A rod of iron. He's going to crush them. A potter's vessel. They're going to be destroyed. They don't have a chance. Now what do we have in verses 10 through 12? We have five commands. And this is where I've summarized these five commands under one point, And it's just trust the Lord. So to just kind of be blessed. How can you be blessed? Evade the sinner or escape the sinner. Imbibe the law. Trust in the Lord. And I get that at the end of verse 6, and I get that at the end of, or I'm sorry, in chapter 1, verse 6, and I get that in chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Look at this. He's addressing the rulers, the kings, the judges of the earth. Be instructed. And you can see the cadence to this again. Be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Okay, you see that? Serve the Lord. Kings aren't very good at serving. <laughs> Generally speaking, they're not very good servants. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Do you see this idea of fearing God? You should fear the Lord. The sin that you struggle with, it angers God in his great compassion and mercy. He often doesn't whack us, but he could. He could. I could get into that more, but let's, I got to finish this. We're almost done, and my time is too. So we have these five commands. Be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. It's like, how do we do that? Rejoice with trembling? You're happy and exulting and everything while you're kind of scared. It's kind of like a mixed emotions kind of a thing okay you are rejoicing there's much to rejoice about 
but this is more of the awe. It's more of the wow, this is God. He could whack me, but he won't because he's good and he loves me. Serve, rejoice, finally kiss the sun in verse 12. We kind of struggle with that imagery. Uh, this is the idea of paying homage to him. And then we have the theme of anger again. Remember back in verse 5, we had the Lord, um, God the Father. Uh, he's going to speak to the nations in his wrath and in his deep displeasure. Well, here we have kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, don't tick God off. Not a good idea. What might happen to you? You'll perish in the way. How does Psalm 1 end? Look back at Psalm 1 and verse 6. Psalm 1 and verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. How does Psalm 2 end? Kiss the son lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. Guess what happens to the ungodly's way? It ends. The path comes to a, I don't know, dead end, hole, pig pit, fire, whatever, okay? It doesn't end well. Don't be on that path. Be blessed. Be blessed. And then the last line in verse 12, which is the foundation of, I think, the big summary statement of all of Psalm 2, is blessed are those who trust, who put their trust in him. What are you trusting in? Don't trust in your finances. Don't trust in some politician. Don't trust in your family or whatever. It's good to have family. It's good to have money. It's good to have good politicians anyway whatever okay but we need to put our real trust in the lord and if you put your trust in the lord what will you be blessed you'll be happy you'll be at peace it'll be a good life and nobody can take it away from you there's no retirement that you can lose that you'll be concerned about there's no properties that could get destroyed in a flood or tornado or whatever isn't it interesting how natural disasters have kind of just escalated recently? Seems to me, anyway. It's like all over the place. You know, poor Nebraska. No, trust in the Lord and be blessed. I want to just close in prayer and pray for you as a church as you begin a new chapter in your lives, at least since <laughs> my last time here. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, I do pray for <clears throat> Manual Baptist Church here in Des Moines. I pray for these people. I pray that their confidence would truly be in you, Lord God, that they would trust in you. I pray that they would have their devotions and that they would open your word every day, that they would read it, that they would meditate upon it. I pray that it would, uh, um, that it would just be ingrained deep within them, into their minds, into their heart. And that they would, it, that the word of God would, would be a river and that they would be a tree. I pray for uh, Pastor Mapes as he opens the word of God, that, uh, that you would bless him as he feeds your people, as he leads them. 
I pray that uh, the ministry of the word uh, would just go forth in strength and power and that the, the people here may just imbibe it, that they may, may uh, love your word. Um, be with Pastor Mapes and give him wisdom and guidance as he leads this congregation. I pray for the church here that they would support their pastor, that they would follow him. May they work together in the work of the ministry so that the people here in South Des Moines, they hear the gospel and they respond to it. I pray that you'd soften the hearts of the sinners that are all around us, whether it's in our workplace, whether it's our neighbors, uh, whether it's just even the people right around the church here. I pray, I pray for their souls. I pray they would not be fools, that they would not be scoffers, but that, that you would soften their hearts, that they may be open to the truth of the gospel. May they recognize the discontentment in their, in their lives, the lack of something in their lives, and I pray that the church would, would be able to point them to the cross, point them to the Lord, Lord Jesus, that the, that the body of Christ here might grow, that the believers here may mature and be discipled, that sin would be called sin, and that, that uh, the, the believers would repent of it and turn to you. Soften our hearts, Lord. Soften our hearts, Lord. May your word transform us from within. And in Jesus' name, amen.